From the windows, doors, and more studios, your one-stop shop for all your kitchen and bath needs. The Pat Miller Program. Whoa, whoa. 92.3 FM and 1190 AM. Depend on it. And welcome back uh, with you here on the Pat Miller Program here on this Saturday. Uh, so we're talking to our good friend that normally was on with us every week on Tuesdays, but he's one of them that I had to make sure is with us every week now on Saturday from Real Clear Politics, our good friend Philip Wegman. Philip, welcome to Saturday, sir. Thank you for having me. And uh, what better way to spend a Saturday than hanging out with Pat Miller? Oh, I can think of only about twenty or thirty better ways, but you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thankful you couldn't come up with anything better. Uh, so, uh, for you there now in the D.C. area, just overall general general malaise. Um, it seems like everybody's mad at everybody. Everybody's turning on everybody else. We now have Democratic insiders, and I'm using air quotes here, that are running to places like the New York Times and CBS, and they're starting to dump in earnest on the Biden administration. Does Joe Biden and his minions there, do they not have the absolute control of all things Biden administration that one would think a president might have? They have absolute control over the administration in terms of what the different agencies are doing. Make no mistake, uh, Biden and his folks are in control um, of the government. What they don't have control over is the perception of the president as he begins the campaign uh, for re-election in 2024. And I've got to tell you, Pat, the question of the president's age was the one hot-button topic that you didn't want to ask about at the White House press briefing. And you didn't want to ask the president of the United States about his age when you got a chance, because it was very clear that if you pressed them on this issue, then uh, they were going to, at very best, put you in um, you know, a penalty timeout. Yeah, because lock you they're, out. They're, yeah, they're, they're, very, um, they're very sensitive about But now, with Special Counsel Herr's report, where he argues uh, that the president is an old man with poor recall, those are the, uh, the, the words of the special counsel, he has broken the dam. And now you have... Uh, every outlet uh, from the big networks to the big papers and others um, who are really questioning and asking the obvious question, which is, is the president at uh, 81 years old, is he ready for this slog? Is he going to be prepared to run for re-election? And, um, you know, uh, my little editorial here is it's about time that yeah. other folks started asking those questions, too, because... Uh, Sometimes it was pretty lonely when you pressed them on it. Well, yeah, and 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 I look, I get a little bit. Don't hit the president himself with it while he's on his way to the helicopter. It looks like a personal affront, which I don't think it does. But some people were saying that. But when you're in the press room, or you're in the back of Air Force One, and you're talking to Corinne Jean Pierre, or you're talking to John Kirby, or to someone else related to the president, it had gotten to where if you even ask, you know, a subordinate about a question um, uh, with regards to the president and his mental health, um, you you become persona non grata. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that what we're seeing with a lot of these Democratic sources, who, of course, most of them are talking anonymously, some of them are putting their names out there, uh, like like David Axelrod, they're speaking publicly about this, and, and to their credit. But for some of these guys, I think what it boils down to is that they had dismissed 
all of the uh, reporting and questioning of the president's advanced age by saying, oh, well, this is just coming from political opponents. And, and you know, we've talked about this before, Pat. Uh, the president has good days and bad days. Yep. He's an older guy. Um, you know, I was one time on, a, uh, on the receiving end of some, some rather unkind words from him. He didn't like one of my questions. But, uh, you know, there's also reporting to back up uh, these, these doubts now. Um, you know, we saw the report from the special counsel. We've seen the days on the White House schedule where the president had no public events. Um, you know, we've heard him uh, sort of slow down. Yes, he can read a speech off of a tele- teleprompter, but the old Joe Biden, the guy who is going to work a, a rope line and um, who is truly at his best one-on-one with voters, I think I saw it in South Carolina in 2020, that guy... Um, He's, he's lost uh, a bit off of his fastball. No, that's that's something I've heard on several broadcasts. I heard one overnight last night out of Boston, and they said basically the same thing. It's not that he's not what he was when he was in the Senate. He's not even what he was four years ago. Yeah, and, and we've got to keep in mind, your heart kind of goes out to these guys. Yes, as a journalist, like you got to hold their feet to the fire. It doesn't matter whether they're a Republican uh, a Democrat, man or woman, you hold their feet to the fire because they signed up for this job. But at the same time, there's a human element here where you think, my goodness, uh, being president of the United States, sure, it comes with some perks, the uh, motorcade and you know the Oval Office and everything else and the, an extraordinary amount of, of power, but it's also an extraordinary amount of responsibility. And, you know, Biden's um, aides and handlers, they can try and, and you know, clear his schedule and, and make it easy on him. You know, I've spoken to some former White House uh, aides who said that he, they would um, they would try and schedule any public appearances, you know, in the middle of the day when the president was most fresh. But, you know, all of the difficulties and responsibilities that come with that job, they weigh on even the most energetic of presidents. And if you look at how President Obama looked, a comparatively young man when he came into the office, with how he looked eight years later, you could see that he was pretty worn. And, um, you know, I don't think anyone would argue that uh, President Biden is a spring chicken. You know, uh, in the past, I'm talking about the long distant past, presidents of 80 and 100 plus years ago, there were a couple of cases because of ongoing difficulties in the health protocol of a president when their wives stepped in and had a much larger action going on, uh, some of them even to the point that some First Ladies have are now accused of having signed their husbands' names to certain bills. Uh, but but is, is Jill Biden as much a driving force with this administration now as she appears to be, at least to me when I see her? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no doubt about it that Jill Biden is you know, integral to the operation. Uh, she's probably his closest I- advisor. I don't think we're um, in a position where, you know, we've got a Edith Wilson uh, sort of covering for yeah. you know, President Wilson uh, just yet. But, you know, Jill Biden, she, she knew what he was signing up for when he decided to run. Uh, she's been in his corner, um, you know, supporting him publicly and also privately. Um, one thing that, that I noticed, um, I think after the 2022 midterms, uh, President Biden had just held a marathon press conference that didn't go very well. And so after the midterms, when he was 
slated to speak again, um, Jill Biden was sitting in the front row. And he took a few questions, but he stuck to the script, and he ended the press conference uh, when the first lady stood up and um, headed for the exits. So I, I think she's very involved. Uh, but as of now, I don't have any uh, reporting or insight on any type of um, untoward uh, extra responsibilities for her. Well, now, um, today, this is this is primary day in South Carolina. And so South Carolinians on this Saturday are heading into their primary polls. Uh, Biden is in no position of not winning his primary in South Carolina. Is he in any position where there might be something slightly embarrassing, like maybe somebody else, like a Kennedy or someone else, taking away some of the limelight from him? I think after New Hampshire, where um, Dean Phillips, the representative from Minnesota, who has been for a long time the lone Democratic voice uh, saying that Biden is not up for the job and not up for re-election against Trump, his best shot was winning in New Hampshire, where he was the only Democrat in the primary, because, of course, Biden moved the first Democratic primary to South Carolina, but New Hampshire, by law, they have to have the first primary. It was a huge mess. Right. Long story short, Dean Phillips is the only Democrat on the ballot. And Joe Biden's allies, they organized a massive write-in campaign where folks would write in Joe Biden's name. And despite all of the work that Dean Phillips did in New Hampshire, Biden crushed him. It, it was just absolute. So I don't think there's a scenario where um, you know Biden will be embarrassed. But what I'm looking for, you know, as these results start to pour in, is can Nikki Haley keep the uh, gap close? She says she's not going anywhere. She Mm -hmm. says she's still going to compete against Donald Trump uh, to the better end. But if she gets beaten in her home home state, two to one, um, you know, that's that's going to be the sort of thing that is going to dry up donors and end her campaign. Does your gut tell you that that's what's going to happen? that the two-to-one Donald Trump will keep that in place and will be able to stave her off? Because if she got within, and I don't think this is going to happen, but if she got within 14 to 15 points, that's not a victory, but it's not a total slam dunk for Donald Trump either, especially when I keep reading stories where some of the Trump money is not as available as it once was, and part of that because of ongoing payments now that he seems to have to make through the judicial system. Yeah, that's the truth. Uh, Donald Trump's biggest campaign expense is his army of uh, lawyers. And, and oh, by the way, uh, he is increasingly growing frustrated with anyone on the right who is within his orbit, who is fundraising for anything that doesn't have to do with his campaign. For instance, uh, the president um, turned his attention towards Charlie Kirk, who is the head of Turning Point USA, and, and expressed frustration that Kirk, a longtime ally, was bringing in you know, millions of dollars uh, that weren't going to, to Trump's entities. Now, setting that aside, obviously, what's been fascinating is that as Trump is seen as the incumbent on the right, he hasn't been able to mount as much of a traditional fundraising campaign effort. And, you know, the dollars just aren't coming in, even as he has these sky-high legal bills. And that's allowed Nikki Haley to out-fundraise him. She's, she's bringing in more money than the former president, but she just doesn't have the votes. Yeah. She's going to be a viable candidate. Something has to change tonight. She has to get, you know, like you said, within, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12 votes. 
and they thought that it was going to be in New Hampshire, and they came up short. Yeah, they certainly did. Uh, so she's out there. She's raising money. But if somebody is a Nikki Haley support person, they're going to lose heart, if not wallet, uh, you know, as things keep going, if she doesn't start climbing the ladder a little bit. Uh, I would say, you know, if Nikki Haley is still in after today, she won't be there in a month. Yeah, it's, I think that that is a fair prediction. I'm not certain what exactly is going to happen because she does have significant resources. Um, you know, perhaps she can make it through to Super Tuesday. But some Republican operatives are looking at her campaign and they're saying, wait a minute. She's unable to build a movement. She's unable to build, um, you know, this mass of people to compete with the MAGA uh, faithful. Is she perhaps just lying in wait hoping for disaster when it comes to Donald Trump, uh, who is facing all of these um, legal problems. And then at that point, could she either defeat him if he's been convicted at at the the ballot box or could she step in? I mean, this is getting to the point where, you know, Democrats, some of them certainly don't want Biden to be their nominee. And they have all of these if-then theories. Right. And there are a lot of Republicans. Who don't want Trump to be their nominee, and they have if-then theories. But right now, I think the the most likely thing is going to be you know the most apparent one. I think we're barreling towards the 2020 rematch in yeah. 2024. I think you're right, uh, and you know it's totally different. Those that have always been Biden supporters, I'm talking about longtime supporters, they look at him and they don't have a problem with him philosophically. They have problems with him with his physiology. You know, can he physically do what it is that he needs to do? Can he mentally do what he needs to do? Those don't seem to be the same questions that people have about President Trump. With him, it's the whole legal mess. And can he be president if you've got the Supreme Court bearing down on him? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's been interesting to see Democrats try and point out that Trump is 77 years old. And that's true. Uh, But I've got to tell you, while the former president is pretty combative and argumentative and um, persnickety, it seems like he is in a very different category uh, than Joe Biden. And, you know, that's no offense to the the current president. But, um, you know, Nikki Haley has a line that seems to make sense on paper. And she argues that whichever campaign ditches you know, their elder statesman first is going to be the one who wins uh, the White House in 2024. And that makes sense on paper. But, um, you know, Nikki Haley can can make all that, arg- that argument all she wants. But uh, if she can't emerge victorious from a primary, then um, then it's just going to be an interesting footnote on the way to uh, a third Trump nomination. Yeah, if everything on paper made as much sense as it did in reality, I wouldn't be sitting here with you on a Saturday. I'd be on some beach somewhere. Uh, <laughs> let me, as long as we've talked a little bit about vice presidents, let's go to the former vice president, an article that you had uh, this week uh, in Real Clear Politics. If folks want to follow Philip, you can do that. Just go to Real Clear Politics. Dot com. Click on authors, and that's where you'll find uh, Philip Wegman. You'll not only find this article, but all of his previous articles. And you say Pence launches $20 million effort to defend conservative principles. Okay, defend them how, and defend them against whom? Yeah. Um, so your first question, defend them how, uh, Pence has drawn up a blueprint where he is going to be supporting um, conservative candidates on the, the, 
the ballot, and then he's also going to be uh, advocating for conservative legislation uh, on Capitol Hill. Uh, defend them from who? Well, Pence didn't exactly say, uh-huh. but without using um, proper nouns, he was very clear who he was defending these conservative principles from, and that was uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. He argued that he wanted to stand up for traditional conservatism in the face of both uh, populism from the right and progressivism from the left. And, uh, you know, this is a, a, you know, it's a serious effort. It's $20 million. We'll see if he can raise all of that money. But I think what this is, is it's an interesting mile marker. Mike Pence, the former vice president, is very well respected among some in the party. And yet, when he makes these arguments about principle, uh, it's clear these were not electoral winners. This did not you know, bring him success in the GOP primary. Um, can he, you know, can he defend these principles the way that he wants to? And the reason why I think this story is so interesting is it is the, the latest chapter in the ongoing split between Donald Trump and Mike Pence, and it's a mile marker for how Pence, a sort of Reagan throwback, is advocating for what the conservative GOP used to be as uh, as Trump continues to remake it in his own image. Yeah. Um, take the Pence positions, everything that he's doing and what he's doing now and everything that he wants to do in this effort. If this had been the, the playbook for Vivek Ramaswamy, would that have had more traction than Mike Pence? Because Mike Pence is the guy that was unfaithful to Donald Trump. I mean, that's the big mm-hmm. thing I keep hearing echoing, which, you know, if if we ask somebody on paper, should you be more faithful to your Constitution or to a candidate, everybody would say, well, to the Constitution. Well, yeah, unless it's Donald Trump. <laughs> well, and this is, uh, this is a question that has been put to a number of um, aspiring vice presidents. Elise Stefanik was asked recently if she thought that Mike Pence did the right thing, and if she would have done what Mike Pence did. And she responded that no, she, she would not have certified the election. Um, this is, you know, an ongoing argument. And there are a number of folks on the right who, who do not want to revisit uh, some of the decisions that Donald Trump made, especially when it has to do with the Constitution and rule of law. And so Pence's team, they, they seem to be leading a, a lonely crusade where they are arguing for, uh, you know, these first principles. Uh, in terms of the Constitution. And then they're also advocating for, for things that, frankly, are not popular among the, the parties right now. Pence is going to be arguing for free trade among free nations. Um, well, NAFTA is not popular right now. He's also going to be arguing um, for the United States standing up for, for Ukraine, which is something that is increasingly not popular uh, on the right. So it'll be interesting to see how he navigates uh, things. But, yeah, to, to your point, um, the number one gripe that I hear from the MAGA faithful when it comes to Mike Pence is that he did not do, in their minds, the right thing on January 6th. Because he didn't do what Trump wanted him to do. Uh, Listen, Philip, thank you so very much for making sure that you were part of our first Saturday broadcast of the Pat Miller program, our weekend wrap-up. And uh, we'll be doing this with you, I hope, each and every week as we move forward. But from Washington, D.C. and Real Clear Politics, for your time today, Philip Wegman, thanks so much, my friend. Hey, thank you. See you next Saturday. This is the Pat Miller Program on WoWo, 92.3 FM at 11.90 AM and on the WoWo app. Hey, welcome back. It is the Pat Miller Program. Very glad that you're with us. Our thanks for uh, 
Philip Wegman being with us uh, out of Washington, D.C., Real Clear Politics. Terrific young man. Always glad when he's part of our program. Speaking about terrific young people, right here, right here in Indiana, a teen worker at a car wash, at a car wash. Have you heard this story? A teen working at an Indiana car wash sprays a rude customer with her water hose. Now, let me just say this. I know that when I go to one of the better-known chains of car washes around town, affix whatever name you want to with that, the the hoses that they're holding, like for example, at the beginning of the wash, you know, you go through and the, the first person takes your money and they put their name and a code number in soap on your windshield so that when you get ready to go into the actual car wash, the person there punches your code in and so it knows what it's supposed to do and how long and yada, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Well, this teen has a video that was shot by the uh, camera at her car wash. And what, the person being described as a rude customer rolled down their window and threw out their lemonade and hit the car wash worker with the lemonade. I'm sure that wasn't sticky at all, okay? Threw out their lemonade, okay? The video shows the worker, Anna Hariki, that's right, this is a girl, 18, spraying water from a, and the news story says, from a powerful hose um, through the uh, window uh, of the vehicle, uh, and and got the person good and wet. It's a 14-second clip. I've seen it. Um, but it shows her uh, swiftly retaliating without missing a beat. In other words, they throw the they throw the lemonade out. She's already got the wand in her hand with the water spraying out. They throw the lemonade out and hit her. She had not miss a beat, man. She's on that before they can roll their window back up. She turns and she sprays them. Now, just imagine, if you would, the inside of a car because the the spray they use at the start of the car wash, unless I'm totally brain dead, that's totally possible, I think it has a little bit of a sudsing element to it. It's not just water. Because you're getting ready to go in and then all the the you know the the uh, the brushes and all that kind of stuff. Um and she just let them have it. She goes, I was loading the car like I did with so many cars before that, making sure that they safely entered the car wash belt she goes, and once I pulled the car in all the way, I put the numbers into the system, and they got the car wash that they paid for. So, in other words, she made sure that they got absolutely everything that they paid for. How miserable do you have to be to throw a drink at a teenager just doing their job? Because, look, we've got some great car wash corporations here in town. I don't think any of these kids are making 20 bucks an hour, Okay. So they're not making a killing of money. She's a student, and she said that her employer sided with her to ensure her workplace safety. She said, I told my managers who were not okay with the customer throwing the drink at me, the customer and her boyfriend have been banned from the car wash for life. Now, is this what happened here, Mr. Producer? 
because it says that the driver threw the drink out on her, okay? And now at the end of the story, it says what? It says that the customer and her boyfriend have been banned. Picture this in your head, if you would, for a minute over there, sir. Uh, and I'm just imagining you have a great imagination. Um, here's here's what I see happen. I got nothing to back this up, okay? But I'm just picturing if she's a young lady working the car wash, and the person that threw the lemonade was a young lady, but her boyfriend was in the seat next to her. Do you think the conversation started just like? And, and, I'm, and I'm guessing maybe they were having a bit of a conversation before they got to the car wash where she wasn't necessarily really happy with him anyway. And he maybe said something like, how come you don't do your hair like she does? How come you don't take better care of your weight like she does? And the lemonade goes flying out the window. (laughs) It hits the worker at the car wash who then turns and sprays her relentlessly. That's what I think happened. I can't verify it. All I'm saying is when we do uh, reenactments here on the Pat Miller program, legal reenactments, uh, the the imitations and the decisions of the host are what stands. I could be all wet here. Here's one thing I do know. The young lady and her boyfriend inside the car were definitely all wet. That's just my take. We're going we're gonna to be back with another segment here. Don't look at me that way. We'll be back in just a minute. Glad you guys are with us. Remember, you can text us at 46862. That's 46862. Text the word WOWO. Your question or comment, it comes right to the studio. Or email me, Pat Miller, all one word, no dots or dashes, patmiller at WOWO.com. Welcome back. It is the Pat Miller Program as we continue to motor through Saturday afternoon. Um, It's not very often that a town will take a vote on something, a position of theirs, and they will come to a unanimous declaration, but it happened in Colorado. The Colorado town has voted seven to zero, seven to nothing. Nobody abstained. Nobody just voted president. They have seven members on their council and all seven of them voted in unison. What did they vote on? That their town, their town of Monument, Colorado, will not be a sanctuary city. They wanted to affirm their status as a non-sanctuary city among all the growing fears that migrants could soon flood the area from nearby Denver. Here's what one of the members of the council said there in Monument, Colorado. The goal is to make sure that Denver knows that we will not be accepting any busloads of migrants into our community. The main reason is that we don't have a budget that matches theirs, and we won't utilize taxpayer funds for the support of what they've decided to take on themselves and, as a result, declared Sanctuary City. Now, that's that's saying something. Forget just a minute that it, that they would be coming from Denver. Forget just a minute— um, what it is that they need to have uh, given to them in the, in support of their community. Forget all that. Just forget it. What is the deal of what's going on? Notice his, notice his stand. 
that he took. Okay, this is the mayor of Monument, Colorado. He said the main reason is that we don't have a budget that matches theirs, that matches Denver. And we won't utilize taxpayer funds for the support of what they've decided to take on themselves as a self-declared sanctuary city. So you've declared yourself as a sanctuary city for whatever reason that you had behind whatever it was that you did. And you've stepped up to the plate and you said, we're a sanctuary city. And now you can't afford it. So now, Denver, you've got a problem because you don't know what to do with all those people that you've got who came in because you said, ole, ole, out in free. Come one, come all. We'll take care of you. And now you find out you can't because it's costing you a whole lot more than you thought it was going to be. According to the Gazette, which is a paper based in Colorado Springs, the Monument Council reviewed the resolution on Tuesday. It was drafted in part by a press conference held by the El Paso County Commissioners and Colorado Springs City Council member Dave Donaldson in response to news of migrants among and arriving in Colorado Springs. So while approximately 40 miles north, the Mile High City grapples with the consequences of unmitigated illegal immigration, its sanctuary status engendering a fiscal and humanitarian crisis that compelled Democrat Mayor Mike Johnston to warn of an approaching breaking point during an executive interview with Fox News' Lawrence Jones just last month. I think we have successfully welcomed almost 40,000 migrants in the last year. 40,000 in Colorado Springs. And we know what it takes to do this successfully. We just need that help. And the things we need are federal dollars. What? Federal dollars. That's what we need. But the most important thing that we need, work authorization for folks when they arrive. We need those resources at the border so you can add more security at the border, so you can help process those asylum claims, and so the folks that do arrive can work. They've got some people that are arriving they are saying because they don't have the proper asylum status, because they don't have this, they don't have that, they can't work. And so they're, we're just stuck here, and we have to take care of them. Guess what? We're at a breaking point. There is no room, the mayor said, for migrants in Monument, addressing co-host Carly Shemkus's question about whether those who are making their way to surrounding communities once their allotted stays in Denver have ended. In other words, their allotted stay in Denver has ended. What does that mean? Denver. Come on, come on. We'll take care of you. We'll do your schooling. We'll take care of your medicine. We'll do this. We'll do that. Uh Uh-oh. We're out of money on your behalf, so we need you to move on to the next great American conquest for you. And that's what a lot of them are doing. Monument, Colorado, thank you, no. No more.
One more segment coming before we get to the top of the hour. Glad that you're with us here on this Saturday. Stay tuned right here on the Pat Miller Program on Wobo 92.3 FM and 1190 AM. This is the Pat Miller Program on Wobo 92.3 FM and 1190 AM and at Wobo.com. Hey, welcome back. Our last segment here in the 1 o'clock hour uh, as we've gone through the day. Jim Banks, 3rd District Congressman Jim Banks. He'll be with us right after the top of the hour in the first part of the 2 o'clock hour here on this Saturday. Lou Holtz um, has kind of made it known without coming out and saying who I'm who I'm saying I support. Uh, I think we can tell who he's going to be voting for in November. While not yet official, it looks like former President Trump and President Biden will face off in this year's election for the second time in a row. And... Um, I, I think that is a little obvious. I think that is what's going to happen. Um, look, okay, it might not be what happens. Here, here are the two outliers. Number one, if Donald Trump gets so wrapped up in the legal ramifications of everything that he's going through that even with somebody with the strong persona of a Donald Trump just cannot seem to be able to pull it together— and that they, in fact, will be able to do what needs to be, needs to happen. Um, he'll have to pull out of the race. Now, if that if it comes to that, he'll be like you know Kim. Kim and I watch uh, veterinarian shows, and th- there's some that we like. Doctor Pohl, uh, there in Michigan, uh, the couple in uh, in uh, Cedar County, at the Cedar County Veterinary Hospital there in. Uh, in Nebraska, uh, but when you watch them, there's one animal that is so predictable, and that animal is a pig. Whether you're picking them up to do an operation on them, you're picking them up to stick them with some kind of a shot for you know either overcoming an illness or to vaccinate them, or you're just picking them up, they'll start to squeal like you can't possibly imagine. Well, um, what's going to happen? is with Donald Trump and gang, um, if, in fact, Trump starts to be in trouble, he will squeal uh, in with great fortitude. Um, he will begin uh, to start to uh, cause a great deal of scuffle for anybody and everybody that happens to be around, and he won't, he won't stop squealing until you put him back down. It's, it's so amazing to me when I watch those pet shows, these veterinarian shows. Um, have, have you ever lived on a farm, Mr. Producer? No? Okay, it, you, ought to, you ought to see this one show out in Nebraska. You can have a perfectly good pig, and you pick it up. The squealing starts at very high decibels, okay? And it just squeals and squeals for no real reason. And then as soon as you set it down, it stops. Tail starts wagging, off it goes. Well, what's going to happen here is you're going to have some squealing. If, in fact, something should happen that would cause Donald Trump to remove himself from the ballot. Do I want that to happen? No, I don't. I I don't. Uh, I think Donald Trump has shown, I think the number of people that he pulls in every state shows that people recognize what he accomplished when he was president. Uh, we maybe need to do, have him do it with greater fortitude. What do you mean by that? Well, for example, 
if you're going to do a, a bill or an executive order that would say, uh, you know, on, on such and such a date, we're going to stop doing this and start doing that. Here's the executive order. And then you got to write in there, and this cannot be done, and this cannot be overwrought unless you have X number of uh, people signing in at the state house to say, okay, that's enough of that, this is over. If you don't have that, the pig is just going to squeal. Now, at what point does does the the financial problems for Donald Trump, I mean, because now we're talking what, $360 million in, 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 in all these uh, – all, all this retribution that they're putting on him, and he can't have anything to do with his businesses. What's the latest I heard? He can't operate any of his businesses there in New York for three years. So you've got three hundred and sixty million plus how many millions in income that's not going to come into the organization? Lou Holtz, who, in my view, was a fabulous coach for uh, the University of Notre Dame. And he was other universities before and one university on the East Coast after. But nothing really compares, at least in my head, with what it was that he did while he was, in fact, at at charge at Notre Dame. He said, we need to coach America back to greatness. That's saying more than just saying, make us great again. That's saying more than just hand it to us. That's more than just saying, take the bad guys and beat them up. We need to coach America back to greatness. He was given the Medal of Freedom by the president back in 2020. He said, it's the highest honor or award you could possibly receive. And I receive it with mixed emotions. First of all, I'm humbled. There are many more people, far more worthy than me, I can assure you. Nobody is more appreciative than me. Nobody. So I'm excited to have the opportunity. But then he turned around and said, we have to get America and we have to coach them back to greatness. How do you coach somebody? This is what that play looks like. This is how successful teams that have run that play, here's how they did it. If we're going to do it, this is how we need to do it. So let's let's buckle up and let's get there and let's get going. Podcasts by Federated Media.